On this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing Adventures in Babysitting from 1987. Joining us for the discussion will be actress and host of HQ Trivia, Sarah Priebus. Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, a movie podcast that features hosts Brandon and Cullen discussing a film considered but not limited to being a cult classic. The episode you are listening to will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. Follow CC Cavalcade on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to the show on cultcinemacavalcade.com, iTunes, and anywhere podcasts are found. Tonight is going to be the greatest night of your life. Hey, I like dancing, all right? You should try babysitting. Don't fuck with the Lord's This is... Cult Cinema Cavalcade. This is episode 83. This is Brandon, and as always with me is your co-hoster and also god of tire irons, Cullen. I agreed to do this for $50. I'm still waiting for that extra five. Today we are here to discuss the 1987 film, Adventures in Babysitting. Cullen, tell us about this babysitting gig. A babysitter must battle her way through the big city after being stranded there with the kids she's looking after. Adventures in Babysitting is directed by Chris Columbus and stars Elizabeth Shue, Maya Bruton, Keith Coogan, Penelope Ann Miller, Bradley Whitford, and Vincent D'Onofrio. Welcome back to Colson McCavalcade. We hope you smoke jump the firestorm and are ready for us to take on our next career path, which would be babysitting. But we won't be on this job alone. It is with the greatest honor that we welcome actress, TV personality, and host of the incredibly popular mobile game HQ Trivia, Sarah Priebus. Hey, hey. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, thanks for coming on and taking some time to talk Adventures of Babysitting with us. For some of our listeners that maybe aren't hip to it, even though millions play, tell us a little bit about HQ Trivia. Well, it's funny because, you know, we're going to discuss an 80s cult classic, and I feel like HQ is the 2017-2018 cult classic, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Basically, HQ is... A live mobile game show. We're playing around with times right now, but I would say it's safe to say that twice a day you can play a trivia game from your phone where you win real money. There's a host, they appear on your phone, which is sometimes me, sometimes somebody else. And the host will ask you 12 questions. They start easy, they get hard. Once you answer incorrectly, you are out unless you have extra lives. And then anyone who gets all 12 right gets the piece of the cash prize, which is regularly $5,000, but sometimes we have cash prizes that are more money, which is very exciting. Excellent. But yeah, I mean, you're not just limited to that. You have a varied career going on right now with hosting, other things like red carpets, acting. Yeah, I do a lot. So I started as an actor and have been doing the acting thing for a long time since I was 18 and moved to New York. And that usually includes student films, short films, 
unpaid theater work. So I've been hustling for a long time. It's very interesting because I think a lot of times people see a success story, right? And they just are like, where did this person come from? How'd they get that? And you don't see all the hard work that's mm-hmm. been put into it. So I've been at this for a while and went to NYU for theater and doubled in journalism. And hosting is kind of a natural blend of the two, but I didn't necessarily set out to be a host. I definitely wanted to be an actor and I still want to be an actor, but I love hosting. It's its own form of acting. And I would say like my first major thing was I did Les Miserables um, on Broadway when I was still in high school. My high school was one of the first to get the rights to do the production when it was first leaving Broadway. And there were scouts in my audience, and that's kind of how I landed the gig. And that was what really gave me the last bit of encouragement I needed to go to art school, to go to NYU and pursue acting as a career, because I was really hesitant. And I did, and I'm, I'm really glad I did. And after that, you know, like I said, it, it's been... <laughs> It's been a struggle, a lot of hard work. And I would say the next gig that I got that's most notable would be, I have an agent, I have a manager, but I'm a huge proponent of self-submitting, really hustling on your own. So I had submitted myself for this infomercial randomly on an acting website. It was a picture poll, which means you don't actually audition. They just like see if you have the look they're looking for. And so they cast me as the star of this infomercial, no big deal. But I get to set and they had spelled the name of the product of the infomercial incorrectly on the breakdown. And as it turns out, it's not the shinny henny, it's the my shiny hiney, which is, you know, a butt cleaning brush. That's really at its pure, simplest, basic form. It's the butt cleaning brush. <laughs> so I tried to back out of it, ultimately was convinced that it would be filmed tastefully, felt bad to pull out. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. pun, no pun there. Right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I did it. And then six months later, Ellen DeGeneres found the infomercial and I made an appearance on the Ellen show. And that's kind of when my hosting career started. And then after that, I basically, I landed HQ in a very similar fashion. I self-submitted for a random trivia show on your phone. It was still in beta testing at the time. It didn't pay much. It, it wasn't anything major. I think we were, it was in its first couple of weeks and I landed the gig and then it just blew up. It's been a great source of exposure for me. In the meantime, some of the other things I'm working on while I host HQ, let's see, I I host for Amazon a couple times a week usually, which is a lot of fun. Great company to be working for, obviously. And then let's see, in terms of acting gigs, I just shot a really awesome project that I'm super excited about. And maybe you guys, uh, being in the podcast world, know. Do you know about Dirty John, the podcast? Uh, or no? I, don't, I, I, I do I not don't. know. About it. I don't know about Dirty John. Dirty John basically was this true crime story. It happened about two years ago in Newport Beach in California. And there was a guy who was conning women, using them for their wealth. And he cons this one woman. She falls in love with him. She has two adult daughters. And they're like, we don't like this guy. There's something off. And she's like, you don't like any of my boyfriends. But as it turns out, there is something off with him. And ultimately, well, you know what? I don't want to spoil it for you. So either listen to the podcast or you can check out the show that I'm on. So basically, bravo picked this up as a series. It's going to star 
Connie Britton and Eric Bana, and I am in the pilot episode. Uh, nice. we're, yeah, I'm not sure when it's going to air, but I just filmed that uh, last week. I was in LA filming, so that'll be out, I would say, in the next year or so. That should be cool. And, and yeah, some other fun projects, too. What else am I doing? I don't even know. I'm busy. It's great. That's I good. Love it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, as long as things are going smooth and you're busy, that's great. Uh, a friend of ours, friend's show, uh, John Roca, he used to, you know, he's a hardcore going for the acting thing, but he's really found his niche in hosting. He's on Collider, and he's super popular over there. He's on, like, a bunch of shows, and he's found acting gigs through people liking him as a host so you never know how it flows around you are 100% right because that is how a lot of the amazing opportunities that I'm getting now came about it's people see your charisma when you're hosting and I think that's one of the beautiful things about hosting and especially HQ you really can mold the game to fit your personality so you can let your personality shine through and then people are drawn to you or they don't like you which also happens I love your thick skin though it's not easy to put up with evil forum commenting people that just are miserable souls but you handle it quite well you do a mean tweets a little bit don't you on social media yeah jimmy kimmel definitely thought of something smart there every time i watch mean tweets on his show i crack up i was like i gotta turn all of this negativity into something funny but also like it's good to show people what's going on out there yeah. internet trolling is a real thing and it sucks it really sucks and as much as I do have thick skin, you know, I'm only human, so it's it still bothers me. I, not yeah. as much, and I, I don't really take any of that stuff to heart, but it's nuts what people say when they don't have to have their faces out there. I write reviews for a site called whysoblue.com, and my, my one of my favorite sites in the world used to be blu-ray.com, where I go get info and stuff and talk to other people on the boards. And once I started, I've been writing there for over five years, and I can't go on the forums anymore if I see something that I worked on and then I see myself ridiculed on there. It can be much, but sometimes I like to take screen grabs and I post them on social media being like, look at my fans. They're so Oh my nice. God, that's great. So. I'm so glad you do that. That's literally the word version of mean tweets. People love to hear themselves talk and they always think they know better. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I gave you a list of movies. What appealed to you about adventures and babysitting? I will say this as an actor, I have shamefully not seen enough movies, especially some of the older ones. I have like a watch list of stuff that I need to see. So this was one when I went on the list that I hadn't seen. And I used to babysit growing up. That was before I got into restaurants as my survival job in hospitality. I was a babysitter. So this was like a documentary for you then. Yeah, I was like this. <laughs> I have to watch this. And I'm so glad I did because I honestly loved it. This is a movie when I was growing up. I was at Video Kid Store. It was like I liked artwork on them. So I would rented a lot of bad movies back in the day based on cool boxes. And this was one of them. I love this poster. The artist who drew it is Drew Struzan, who's one of my favorite. He's like legendary poster artist. He did like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, stuff like that. And this cover art just attracted me I'm like what is this movie and I watched it and it became like a classic for me when I was a kid but I have to say I've not gone back to it since probably the early 90s watching it Colin what's your experience with adventures in babysitting oh, I think mine was about the same way where <clears throat> I hadn't watched it since probably the early 90s and I do love that cover especially the logo for it 
that looks like a logo of adventure. And I had completely forgotten that that was actually in the movie as well. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, there's so many times you look at a a poster like that looks so awesome. And then they, you know, have the text on the screen and it's just like plain white blah. But when I saw that huge triangle with the action lettering, like, yes, I'm going to, this is an adventure on my couch. Let's go. Yeah. And it's not too crazy. It's, it's a perfect, bit of seriousness with like the right amount of comedy on that poster that completely sells this thing. Uh, That's so funny that you guys say that because by looking at the poster, I would never have watched this ever. (laughs) I look at the poster and I I pulled it up right now and I'm like, this looks like a terrible idea. (laughs) But I had the opposite reaction to watching the movie. So I'm glad I give it a shot. I was five when this came out. So in the eyes of like a, I guess a five-year-old boy in the eighties. Awesome. Sure. That definitely makes sense. So then the nostalgia, I guess, holds with me. But this movie actually dates back to the sixties. It was a Jane Fonda project that never got off the ground and went through decades before it got to here. And if you look through, Apparently, every popular actress in the 80s was rumored to have this lead role at one point. I saw that, Molly Ringwald, and then she was like, I'm done playing this type of character. Right, and I saw (laughs) Kathleen Turner. I'm like, wasn't she a bit old? Like, she was already, if you're doing (laughs) Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile, you've you've hit the level where you can't go back to playing high schooler anymore. Right. There's no one more perfect than, I think, Elizabeth Shue for it. Like, I can't think anybody else. She's amazing, and... Very Sandra D like, I think. Oh yeah. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. They tried to get this off the ground. It's Chris Columbus's first movie. He was a big writer up to this point. I, I have a fun fact for you. Chris Columbus, you know, he did Gremlins. One of my acting teachers was Billy in Gremlins. <gasps> wow. Zach Galligan? Yeah. Oh my, that's awesome. There's a fun fact. So roundabout connection to this film too which is kind of funny that's great gremlins one two and then waxwork those movies that's what i was gonna say star of waxwork star of waxwork hi mom chris that was mrs anderson on the phone she wants to know if you can babysit for her tonight no tell her i can why not because i want to stay home and be depressed oh sit for the andersons that'll depress anyone we open this movie up and we get a good old like 80s getting ready to go out montage set to Then He Kissed Me by The Crystals with Elizabeth Shue just uh, winning over this young boy's heart immediately. It is one of the most 80s introductions <laughs> to a movie ever. The only way they could have made it more 80s if she was singing to a picture of Corey Hart. And play- <laughs> played by Deborah Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. She's adorable. Yep. Honestly, it drew me in right away. I was like, this is what I wish I looked like when I was singing in my bedroom. But I'm, I told, it's so funny because I was watching it with my boyfriend and I was like, oh my gosh, I could play this role. Like, this is me. And he was like, no, you can't. You don't move like that. (laughs) But you, you got modern moves. That's, that's the thing. Sure. Yeah. You could dab to it now, I guess. I don't know. Twerk it out in the mirror. Uh, yeah, yeah, awesome. but you'd be getting ready to like I don't know what would it'd be a throwback song. So uh, like no scrubs while you're getting oh ready. Oh my gosh, like, is that getting ready? Like is that? But the but, thing that yeah. the thing that cracks me up here is when they we get the reveal of like who she's excited to go out with, and we see the picture of Bad Boy Bradley Whitford. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, oh I don't even think Young Bradley Whitford works as 
bad boy, like in his leather jacket and that black and white picture. Because I, I saw him in the credits. I'm like, okay, Bradley Whitford's in this one. Is he going to show up as like a business guy later? I'm like, oh, he's the stud? <laughs> I he's the, he's the dickhead. That's what he is. He's it, pretty horrible. That's yeah. Sure. He'd have dumped Chris three times if he could, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it's so funny. You're right. It's like, why is she pining over this dud? It kind of works in a way that we can all go, uh, everybody in the movie seems to think this guy's not worth it. And we agree immediately. Oh, yeah. Even before we meet him. It's funny, too, because I was reading a little bit about this film and the guy who plays him almost didn't want to take this role, apparently, because he was nervous he would be typecast as a jerk. Well, Bradley. Well, <laughs> I've seen his later well, he career. Made a, yeah, he made a it. very good career out of it. So there you go. What he was fearful of is what ended up helping him out in the long run. <laughs> yeah. a get out came from this. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Adventures in Babysitting, for that social commentary. Uh, yeah. Several years later. Yeah. So he shows up in his his Camaro and honks, but then also goes to the door and he tells her, "I gotta cancel." My little sister got sick and my parents are going out tonight. Well, um, I could come over and help out. We can make some chicken soup or something. No, you, you don't want to be there. She's contagious. I don't, I don't want you to get sick. Look, we'll do the French restaurant thing next week, okay? You can tell he's full of shit, but she won't kiss her. He gives her a blank rain check that's next week, quote unquote. But he wants out. It's yeah. clear he wants out. He wants he wants to hold on, but he wants out. He's seeing like the the whole oh maybe if she thinks I'm going she'll come at me harder or something like that. But it's a jerk thing. He he wants to keep her as a side piece. That's absolutely what he wants. Well, it's like he says later. You know, she's not putting out. Obviously, she's so. I don't want to give away the movie, but I mean, what are we really giving away here? She's so much cuter than oh yeah the other girl later on. <sighs> oh yeah. Such the girl that you want to bring home to mom. But, you know, I guess the guy needs someone to go all the way. That's what he needs. When it comes to the full package in the 1980s, Elizabeth Shue's like number one. <laughs> yeah. No matter the movie. Like, it's... <laughs> He's so... Oh. But uh, Chris's friend, Elizabeth Shue plays Chris. Her friend Brenda, played by a completely dorked out Penelope Ann Miller, to which I didn't remember Penelope Ann Miller was in this movie. And I'm like, oh, that's that's mm-hmm. why I didn't remember she's in this movie. But she knows the guy is lying, but Chris doesn't think so. She wants to sit at home and get depressed, but her mom comes to her with a babysitting offer at the Andersons, which she's hesitant about taking the job, but she goes with it. And as she's driving, we get to meet Brad and Sarah Anderson, the people, the kids she'll be babysitting. And Sarah's a little girl with a Thor cap and she's obsessed with Thor and Brad finds out that Chris is babysitting from Sarah and he spills his popcorn or whatever he's making nervous on the floor because basically he's like I would be if Elizabeth Shue was coming to babysit. Uh, sure. He freaks out, zits on his face, goes to Sarah's room for help, which is done up in Thor. Oh yeah, it's great. She is the one character in this movie that could work now or back then, you know? Right, yeah. That's true. And then we get our one thing in this movie that probably won't sit well with modern younger viewers that would come to it fresh. You wasted all my parasol on another picture of Thor. Thor's my hero. Thor's a homo. Is not. Yeah, he is. Is not. Thor's a complete homo. Take it back, Brad! No, Take I... going to kill somebody with these things. Take it back, Brad! Take back what you said about Thor! 
so funny. That's one of my notes that I wrote down too. There were two things in this movie that definitely wouldn't have worked. And that was one of them. The other one is when they're in the driveway later. I think that's when it happens and they're debating going to the city and there's like a reverse rape joke. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's you can't go back and change it. That's what they did. It's the equivalent of when I showed my kids a movie I loved growing up, Monster Squad, and they had a bunch of homo and fag references and negative connotation. I was like, oh, boy. Didn't realize... Yeah. yeah. I, say, I think we only have one casual instance of homophobia. And for an 80s movie, right. you're not doing too bad. <laughs> I'm not saying it's ideal, but you got to just kind of accept that this the time period. Yeah. You cringe for a minute uh, and I mean, then it's done. The movie doesn't harp on it. It comes back up in a later scene, but not as bad as it was before. No. Uh, no. But yeah. it's just kind of s- stopping in your tracks for like two seconds yeah. and then just moving yeah. on. But uh, yeah. I also noticed Sarah had a My Pet Monster plushie in the back. Oh, my God. Yeah, she did. The only non-Thor thing in the room. You know what's really great is you look at her room and you think like, oh, this is a boy's room, but it's not. Like, it's nice that it was a girl in this role instead. Because it could have very easily just made that a boy. I was actually surprised. I'm like, oh, adventures and babysitting ahead of their time. Yeah. 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 So Sarah's pissed about the Thor comment, and they take their argument downstairs, which she makes Brad admit about love poems without knowing Chris is behind him in their, her little blackmail. And then he becomes befuddled and awkwardly compliments her and tries to take her coat off as she kind of plays with him, knowing that she heard what she heard. When the coat, he's like, oh, it's a nice coat. It's my grandpa's. I'm sure he's a good man. He's dead. <laughs> the parents leave Chris notes about where they'll be and that Sarah isn't allowed to skate in the house. Also, she's overcoming a cold, which stuff that really didn't come into play much. Yeah. The skates. I mean, she skates, would, but yeah. But, and Brad's apparently going to go to his friend Daryl's but after the parents leave, Daryl shows up sucking on the back door, played by Anthony Rapp. Which... That is amazing. <laughs> Anthony Rapp, I mean, it's crazy because the first musical I ever saw on Broadway was Rent. And oh, yeah. Anthony Rapp was playing Mark. I didn't even know that he had played this role. So seeing him as Mark and then seeing him as Daryl, it was mm-hmm. just wild yeah yeah there there are like four or five people in this movie where you say oh my god you're in this movie right he's one of them yeah i'd forgotten he was was so young and just like a kid character in a movie that a lot of kids in those movies either had real bad drug problems in the 90s and disappeared or just Mm -hmm. disappeared daryl decides he's staying the night there because chris is babysitting and he mentions that there's a, a playboy issue that has a girl that looks like chris in it and he brought it with him while there's supposed to be just normal babysitting time in the living room with Chris, Brad, and Sarah, they're listening to, I thought they were listening to the score from Halloween because there was something else on TV, but one of the themes from the movie Halloween was playing. And then things, they're a nervous wreck between the kids and Chris. Uh, Brenda then collect calls, Chris saying that she's in trouble because she ran away from home and is at a bus station downtown and is out of money. Chris doesn't have quote unquote like forty dollars to pay for a cab to the Andersons. Brenda's freaking out at what she's seen and she spots a guy with a gun, which spurns <laughs> yeah. Chris to say she'll come get her. But the way the guy shows the gun, it's like the stereotypical flasher. Yeah, it's like it looks it's like how a flasher, he shows yeah. the gun. Yeah. He's like, like wiggling his eyebrows and waving the gun around multiple times. And he's got, it, he's got it down at his crotch, too. It's like, hey, look at that, look at that. It's like, oh. <laughs> she really is in the worst bus station in the city. 
Chris tries to get Brad to watch Sarah while she goes out for an hour, and now we see Halloween's in the background, which, fun anecdote, Deborah Hill produced this. She was also the producer of Halloween, and they made a funny in-joke about another movie about a horrid night of babysitting to go along with this night of babysitting. Because Deborah Hill on the rights of Halloween. The kids con Chris into taking them with her, and then Daryl pops out of the bushes when they're leaving and joins them up after a little bit of blackmail. He makes a big deal about taking kids to city alone. That makes him come along for the ride. On the drive, Brad's obsessed with knowing more about this Mike that Chris is dating, and Daryl mentions that Mike beat him up for touching his car, which has the license plate, so cool, which was also... Bradley Whitford's actual car and license plate. Oh, no. Yes. What? Yep, that's his actual car in the movie and his actual license plate. They just added uh, it to the movie. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's really disappointing that he would get that license plate. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think that's why Jane The script think... called for the license plate to say D-bag, but we'll go with so cool. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It really is. Side note, I meant to say... Brenda reminded me her character of Barb from Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's mm-hmm. totally Barb. And the whole time, I just kept calling her Barb. I was like, oh, my God, it's so funny because it was the glasses, the, oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the whole 80s vibe. But I was like, oh, she's the Barb of the movie. It's funny to look back because sometimes you see things like a Stranger Things and you're like, oh, they're kind of overdoing the costumes a little bit to make it look more of the era. But then you go back and you're like, no, it's just on point. <laughs> Yeah, yep. no, this, really was. this movie is like a time capsule of this period. Yeah, all they needed was some Nintendo stuff in there and it'd been like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah points out the city and the distance and said, that's where Thor lives. While she tells a scary story, Daryl pulls out the Playboy that the model looks like Chris. When Chris asks what they're looking at, Brad tosses out the window. They wind up getting a flat tire. They pull over and they find out there is no spare in the trunk. They all have little money to pay for anything. A truck pulls over and a creepy bearded man gets out and he laughs at them for not having a spare. He tips his hat with his hook hand, freaking them out. And he said, you scared of this? You kids must be from the suburbs. And he begins to tow their car and they tell him the story about having no money and he says he'll tow them in and buy them a tire. He says he's handsome John Pruitt. He gets asked what happened to his hand and Daryl mentions, did you lose it in Nam? Which would be an... 80s thing to ask an injured yeah. person. Uh, he did it doing some big uh, rig work with a jack giving out on it and says he kept his hand in the glove compartment. And I want to stop here. Like, this is a time in movies where downtowns and big cities were like apparently the scariest place <laughs> on earth. <laughs> uh, like if you look at like the movie like one Cullen and I love to talk about Jason Takes Manhattan that's like ooh New York is scary if you go there you'll get beat up and drugged with heroin against your will no one helps you and like Ninja Turtles paints it as scary every kid going to downtown or any downtown movie is the scariest place on earth the people who lived downtown were scum. It's crazy to think that. Now we're maybe more scared of the random people in the suburbs we don't know about. <laughs> it's reversed. Well, they won't pin you down and shoot heroin into you. 
that I know of. Right. I think, I think it's just crystal meth in this, right? I think that's what they do. Well, it's also funny, too, because I feel like so many of the 80s movies were Chicago, too, right? Yeah. The John the John Hughes stuff was all Chicago, yeah. They yeah. Did, a lot of the Saturday Night Live guys with the Second City, they all came from Chicago, so a lot of like the Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, and Bill Murray movies take place in Chicago. Yeah. They still use Chicago now, but it's kind of like random big city, nameless when they use it, than right. being hardcore Chicago. I mean, I guess for this, too, it's a, important for that blues bar scene where right, we yeah. look at that later. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that makes sense, yeah. But, you know, I was like, why? So many so many Chicago 80s films. Yeah, that's true. Right. Well, even though there's a band after that blues club that was obviously white people blues or whatever that style is. Right. Like, that, that's obviously another very Chicago thing. I'm surprised Dan Aykroyd didn't stroll out and stage with the harmonica and just well, start like, playing along. Well, we don't have Huey Lewis in the news in the budget, so we'll get... <laughs> The, yep. the local cover, Huey Lewis in the news band, who's got a couple originals. John Pruitt gets a radio message from a Dawson guy. Pruitt. Yo. Dawson here. Yes. I just went by your place. Now, what did you see? You won't like it. What did you see? That car was parked in front. She's with that bastard again. What we find is this guy's wife is cheating on him with some guy that he goes in, beats up, throws him out the window. And this is like a crazy turn of events because the kids freak out. They scatter. They get into a car. Well, they're right to be scared because John Pruitt's firing a gun. (laughs) That's true. But they get in a car outside, which already has a guy in there hot wiring it. That ends up being the car of the man that was in there cheating on the wife. And they take off in the stolen car with a guy named Joe who hot wired it. And Chris doesn't realize it's a stolen car at first and then freaks out with the revelation. And then she turns into overprotective babysitter. The chick is losing it. I am not. You guys want some candy? Brad, no chocolate. Your acne. Sarah, it is time for your cough syrup. Daryl, fasten the seatbelt. She's definitely losing it. I am not losing anything. I am still in control here. Got it? And she asks to be dropped off in the next corner, and he goes, I wouldn't even be dropped off in this neighborhood. And he rejects the request to be dropped off at a mall, which makes a joke about, oh, small town people, I guess, which you're like 20 minutes outside of downtown. (laughs) It's Uh, it's not small town. It's suburban. And suggests they come with him to where he's going, and he takes him to a garage that's at first looks like a spark factory, but they're <laughs> they're boosting cars there. Tells him his name's Joe. They're going to be okay. There's mob bosses in here doing something with Philadelphia and this and that city, just naming cities. And they're all taken aback by the kids. Joe gets punched for bringing them. So the boss is worried. So he sends him up to this office. While they were there, we see Brenda at the bus stop taking a snooze and her glasses gets taken and replaced with sunglasses by some weird woman at the bus stop and in the office there's that playboy issue on the desk that they're locked in and daryl snags it and there's a hole in the ceiling of this office that they end up going through into the rafters and chris sees an open window through it joe notices them up there from down below but doesn't say anything and we then get a cut to the party about the the mother and father tried to call home but they get the answering machine the father says they're out for ice cream we get the ha 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 joke from the mom like sure sarah's probably hanging from the rafters by now to cut to sarah hanging from the rafters 
As they near the window, the mobsters argue about where the Playboy is, and one goes to fetch it from the office and discovers the kids and the Playboy have gotten away. And then outside, they escape through the alley, and Brad puts the Playboy in Sarah's backpack. The mobsters give chase in a car because the Playboy has all his notes for, quote-unquote, the Philadelphia order. And he goes, that could put us away for 20 years. They wind up now at the blues bar, and they get they interrupt a performance on stage, and the the singer says, "Nobody leaves this place without singing the blues." And then the movie just stops for about five minutes, <laughs> right? And while Chris, they sing, Chris, with the kid accompanying it, begins telling the story, speak singing about what happened in the night. Um, my name's Chris Parker. I live in Oak Park. That's a suburb. They probably figured that out. <laughs> This is Brad, Sarah, and Daryl. And we're in trouble. A no doubt. See me and my boyfriend, Mike. Tonight's our anniversary. But then he went and canceled. And now I'm stuck watching these three. And it's so hard. And it's so hard. Babysitting these guys. She got the baby-sitting blues. Baby, baby, baby-sitting blues. I've got the baby-sitting blues. As the mobsters slowly enter the bar, patrons love it and begin dancing as the kids get off the stage and make their exit. And then the mobsters start to move in, but the singer stops them and says, Nobody leave this place without singing the blues. And we don't get to see that number. <laughs> what, what did you guys think of that scene? Only in yeah. the 80s. Only this is that this is that scene where like Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, where they're having the fight <laughs> and they bust into the dance club with vanilla ice and they end up doing a dance number with them. Uh, it's a product of its era. This happens in a lot of movies of that. So I just kind of took it like this. It kind of it stops the movie dead in its tracks. I'm obsessed with it. I hope that one day I get to do a scene like that in a movie. <laughs> I'm down. Fund it, somebody. Somebody make an 80s film and let me do a scene like that, please. Where you just stumble on a stage and you're a star for five minutes and then you run for your life again. My musical theater background is like crying to be heard in something like that. We, we need well, you in a, like, maybe we could get you on an episode of like Glow or Stranger Things where you're getting chased and that happens in it. That would be phenomenal. <laughs> when, when I was watching this scene, I thought, this is the most patient crowd ever. If I came to see this guy play the blues and then these suburban kids come out and start singing about their night, I'd be like booing and throwing stuff at the stage. Well, obviously this movie is incredibly realistic. So it, it works. <laughs> Based on a true story. Yeah. Uh, as they wander the streets, Brad suggests Chris can do better than Mike and infers that he gives him a shot. And Daryl's stopped by a hooker. And when Chris stops him, they find out that the hooker is 17 years old, just like Chris, and ran away from home, which makes her think of Brenda. And they freak out. Brenda now is at the bus stop, can't see, and picks up a rat, thinking it's a kitten. And custodians want to kill it. And she's like, don't kill the kitty. And they tell her it's a big old rat. And she freaks out when they reveal it to her. That is one of the funniest things i think in the movie well of the brenda yeah. of the brenda cutaways yeah definitely yeah like, it's hilarious for most people brenda's night would be a terrible night for anyone 
Meanwhile, like the babysitting stuff that's going on is so much worse. <laughs> I just just imagine when she gets back in the car, like I had the worst night, and she tells Brenda, "Shut up." How many times were you shot at? Wait, the funny thing is, going ahead a little bit, when it comes to getting Brenda, they literally pull up to the bus stop, and she gets in the car, and they go home. <laughs> There's no complication. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it does go as simply as it possibly could in the end. While wandering the streets, the mobsters catch up to them. They manage to catch a train before they get caught. And the main mobster confronts Joe wanting to know everything about those kids. On the subway, they end up being in the middle of two rival gangs. And one of them, Chris is telling them to hold off till they leave. And one guy calls her a bitch, but Brad stands up for her and calls the guy a big city scum sucker. And the leader of the Lords of Hell throws a knife in Brad's foot. And then Chris pulls it out and says, don't fuck with the babysitter. So you got your one PG-13 F-bomb right there. And the gangs back off and let them off the train. How awful is it that they literally in the middle of a gang fight, they went from what these gangsters trying to murder them to just these bystanders. They went from professional mobsters to like the minor league team right away. That was like... (laughs) what they yeah. went from and this is just like that big city stuff like don't get on the subways in a big city at night because there will be gangs on it because west side story is happening yes <laughs> right lords of hell I, yeah i wish the lords of hell were in west side story that'd be awesome we need the spinoff of adventures and babysitting like lords of hell versus whatever the other gang was this is another moment where i would imagine once brenda got in the car and start talking about our night where chris would just say how many gang fights were you in the middle of <laughs> were there these two janitors and uh, no uh, <laughs> i picked up a rat <laughs> like i had to take this kid to the hospital because he got stabbed they carry him to the hospital and in the er they run into the guy jp beat up and got his car stolen from but he gets taken away and then brenda meanwhile buys a hot dog and tries to pay for it with a written over check and he wants cash and goes i'll make it very clear you slip me the cash and i'll slip you the wiener but i don't have any cash then i don't have a wiener fun fact about that scene apparently it wasn't originally in there and production asked for more time they wanted more time in the movie so he wrote that scene thinking it would never see the light of day and it ended up making the cut oh wow and he was so embarrassed. He said it, he was so embarrassed by that scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's to her being scared of someone say, you give me the money and I give you the wiener. Yeah, slip yeah, exactly. you the wiener. Sorry, slip, slip you. Yeah. It's even worse. The hospital, I thought this was like Brad winds up with one stitch. Like it's supposed to be this hardcore injury. And then the nurse enters to tell the doctor that they, a guy with a stab wound just died. And as Chris wanders the hospital looking for Brad, she runs into that doctor that was just with Brad and says they're looking for their friend who with the stab wound. And he tells her he's dead. Chris faints. Brad then comes up upon them and Sarah and Daryl hug him and say, Brad, don't you ever die on me again. And Chris comes to and thinks she's had a nightmare, but then realizes she's still in the middle of it all. And the guy whose car that got jacked sees them and yells, but Pruitt out of nowhere shoulder dashes him. And he says he's got their car ready at Dawson's garage. Uh, Mentions he covered the window, but they have to pay $50 for the tire. Pruitt says his wife called the cops and he's a fugitive and they wonder where they're going to get fifty dollars but no fear they come across a fraternity party and daryl runs off to it just just wait what are you doing this ends up being the best decision of the night probably for them right but he just runs in there and there's that live band called Southside johnny and the asbury jukes 
again rolls white right blues. off the tongue. Yeah, white blues, and <laughs> and it's a hopping party. Guys at the party think Chris is the Miss March from the Playboy and want her to sign it. One guy comes over and acts proper to tell them she's not the centerfold, and Sarah says she's got to go to the bathroom. So Daryl then tries to play drinking games, and a guy says, "I must be hallucinating." Is anybody else here talking penis? <laughs> what was Daryl's goal here? Because they're all drinking, and he has a stein of popcorn, and he calls attention to himself like, hey, guys, and then tries to chug the popcorn? What? He's a kid, I guess. I don't, yeah. He dumb. He's he, he, he real dumb. But hey, he's not that dumb. A drunk girl tries to come take him away. And this one guy, Dan, continues to hit on Chris as he takes her for a dance. I'm a senior. In high school. In high school? <laughs> yeah. I can't believe it. What? Prettiest girl at the University of Chicago is in high school. Well, that was good. No, I mean it. He offers to give her $45 and a ride to the garage to help them, and Daryl winds up getting frisky with one of the drunk bros girls, so that ends up getting them out of there faster. And, okay, my modern sensibilities in movie watching took Dan as, ooh, this guy's a creep, but he's actually, turns out, uh, the, the nice guy, but in a mo- movie today, he'd be a guy with a different, like, something's up with this guy, right? Was I the only yeah. one who kind of felt we were going to get revealed that he was a date rapist or something? Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree with you. Totally he was sleeps. way too nice and way too polite. He's one of those guys that, you know, he says, like, I'm a nice guy. Why don't girls like me? And they're kind of entitled. He's the enemy now. He was the good guy yeah. then, and he aged into the enemy. Because he's the guy waiting for the drunk guys to slobber and come in and act all proper. He was the guy drinking the wine from the glass at the kegger as his move yes mm-hmm. absolutely that's, that's, I, I figured that's, it was just a matter of times like hey let's get out of here let's go to my room i really thought that was gonna happen at the garage they see the car is done dan offers to stay with them but she just tells him to go and then it's like but how will i find you to pay you back and he says don't worry maybe i'll see you again inside they look for mr dawson and he lowers down from the jack in epic fashion holding a sledgehammer with long blonde hair and a hat looking like thor incognito which is probably the most badass vincent d'onofrio's ever looked in a movie (laughs) When it was revealed that was Vincent D'Onofrio, I thought, God, what happened, Vincent? Did you did you just take a weekend and eat nothing but Whoppers? Because he, you know, he, <laughs> he doesn't look like he's in great shape, for, uh, you know, for a long time. Whereas there, he looks dripped as hell. He what, looks he, amazing. He, Wait a minute. That's so funny, too, though, because at the same time, I'm looking at him when he's finally revealed, and I'm like, that's Thor? Like, where? <laughs> that was all we could get back then, Sarah. Where <laughs> are his muscles? And then here we are, like, praising him for eating Whoppers. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, he was a club bouncer, so he's in good shape. And then when he did Full Metal Jacket, Kubrick wanted him to, like, look a bit more pudgy. And, you know, I'm going to work for Stanley Kubrick. And that ended up being his seminal role. That's kind of how things went. So, so what you're saying is Stanley Kubrick is responsible for Vincent D'Onofrio's weight gain. I don't know. Dan Aykroyd once got big for a movie and then never able was able to lose it too. So it happens. I, I just want another reason to not like Stanley Kubrick. Can I just have this? Sarah bows to him and says, "Oh Thor, mighty god of thunder," and whispers that this is his secret identity. 
She mentions to Dawson that Brad said he was a homo. Uh, there we go. It's the reprise of the, the homo diss. And he grabs him and says, you spread rumors about me, kid. And he questions the $45 and wants $50 or no car. Sarah questions that she thought she always helps people in trouble. He says, this, he goes, this is a city. I don't help anybody but myself. And now get lost. And she tells him, I know why you're not acting like yourself. You don't have your special helmet. So you're wearing the baseball hat. You're supposed to be wearing this. Take mine. Go on, take it. Take it. You giving this to me? Oh well, yeah, you're my hero. Here. Here, take the car. Thanks, Thor. You're welcome. Hey, kid. I got one of these at home. And they leave, and we see mobsters have been waiting for them. And I remember as a kid, I thought he came back, but this is it for him. Yeah, I remembered that too. I thought she saw him climbing a window or something, but I must be making that up in my head. Mandela effect. We should find out if everybody else feels that way. (laughs) It's right. It's the same universe where the Bernstein bears are. Not the Bernstein bears. Yes. And that, what was it, Sinbad, Shazam, Kazam movie that doesn't exist that people swear happened. At the bus stop, Brenda nabs her glasses back off the lady who took them. That's She's sleeping, who awakes to chase her with a, I thought it was a machete, but it's like a, an umbrella without the fabric. I, I, honestly, oh. I was like, whoa, this woman's got a machete, and, and everyone's <laughs> laughing about this, but it was an umbrella. No fabric. Hey, where does a homeless person, where would they get a machete? I don't know. It's... Hey, in this movie, magic happens, right? And then she had to sing the blues. While stopped at the light, Chris notices the restaurant that she was supposed to go to, and Daryl spots Mike's car via the So Cool license plate parked outside. They go inside the restaurant. Mike is there with another girl who Chris knows and thinks she's a sleaze, so she goes to confront him. Sarah checks out the dessert, wandering away to move into our final act. We'll get back with her later. Chris overhears Mike giving this girl the same line he gave her earlier. Girls like you come along once in a lifetime. (laughs) Or twice in the same night. Oh, wow. You lied. No, I didn't. Don't lie! Get a grip. Jesus. Do you have any idea what I've been through tonight? I thought that, that you loved me. Or was it all just bullshit, huh? Look, little girl, I don't know what you thought we had, but it wasn't half as serious as you like to think it was. All right, you like over. Jeez, you're picking them kind of young, aren't you? This kid's got more class at 15 than you'll ever have. You're such a loser. I can only dream of having somebody like Chris for a girlfriend. But, but you've got her, and you treat her like this? Don't waste your time, half pint. Her legs are locked together at the knee. I'd love to hit you. I'd love to pound on your face. Yeah? Go ahead. But I won't. You're so slimy, I won't sink to your level. Daryl says, I will, and kicks him into a table. It's the nicest thing that Daryl does in the whole movie, honestly. (laughs) Daryl is just totally no filter. Like, that's his character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he's also kind of a a lech as well. (laughs) Because, you know, we we joked about him making that, oh, no, Chris is going to rape us. Shut up, dude. Shut up. (laughs) They leave celebrating but realize they've lost Sarah, who winds up, she went to a toy store while eating these desserts. The mobsters find her there. They chase her, and she notices down an alley that the building her parents are at seems like a ways away, but she runs to it, and she gets in the building. 
one of the guys rips her cape off from her, but she manages to escape to an elevator. And then randomly, one of the goons with the mobster slugs the custodian. He's just like, hey, what are you guys doing? And he gets popped in the face. I was like, that's... It's a bit much. It's a bit much. What what was that guy going to do to you? Why why would you do that? They're mobsters. They're mobsters. (laughs) Etiquette costs nothing. (laughs) Chris and the boys are hot out on the trail and also decide to go to the mom and dad's building when they follow the exact same path. The goons notice chocolate stains on two different floors, so they split up to check them out. Sarah winds up on the floor that looks like the empty floor from the Nakatomi Plaza building in Die Hard, pretty much, because every building in the 80s had to have that under construction floor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not just Die Hard, but they all did. And the other floor that would have gone to is her, where her parents were at the party. Brad, outside, notices the cape, says she's in trouble. Sarah climbs out an open window down a rope. Now, this building, she's not falling flat. It's got an angled window that she's climbing down. Mm-hmm. The main thug, he then freaks out about this, like, oh, shoot. So he's more wants to help her, but in, in turn, he'll also get to nab her. At the elevator, Chris and the boys, they go together. They don't split up like the mobsters, and they find the parents' floor. While they're there, Chris, she takes one of the coats and tries to wander around to see if she can find Sarah there. Meanwhile, Sarah slips off the rope and is just hanging on the angled wall. Why was there a rope out the window? What practical <laughs> use would there be? Did Sarah for throw the... it down or was it no, already it was... down there? Oh, it, it was already out there oh, okay. for some reason. Window cleaning? I don't know. I, I guess, but just to leave the rope there. It's one thing if you're going to clean the window, but you drag it back in. You don't just leave a giant rope, wag it on the side of a building all day and all night. At the party, Chris hears that the parents are getting ready to leave. Brad and Daryl hide in a coat rack as their dad comes to grab coats. Chris hides behind a table and the mob boss finds her, but he gets distracted by Brad and Sarah's parents talking to him and she wraps a cord that was plugged in around his legs. Out the window, they both see that Sarah's crawling across the glass. Nobody in the party sees it. (laughs) Yeah! How happening is that party if no one's looking out a window at any point during this party? She ends up bolting out, and the guy trips and falls. Brad and Daryl and her go upstairs. They toss the rope down to Sarah, and they pull her up, and the goon is out crawling there, too, and he fails to grab her as they pull her up, and when they get up, they embrace her. She asks if they can go home now. Joe says, not yet, because he's there, standing behind. It's super weird when she gets pulled up in there, because then she hogs Brad, because her brother, and that's great. But then she says... What? Were you deprived of oxygen when you were outside? Why? What is this? Joe pulls the Playboy out, says that's what they're after. He looks at the centerfold. Don't say it. (laughs) Wow. It's pretty uncanny, huh? Nah, she don't even compare to you. They leave the goon outside hanging out the building, and the mobster confronts them and says to give him the magazine and get out of there, and he'll take care of the children. But Joe slugs him, tosses the magazine on him, and says, you're right, babysitting is dangerous, and they all head out. They quickly swing by the bus stop, pick up Brenda. Takes 10 seconds. 10 seconds. And we even get a, we don't even get Brenda in person we get a voiceover what took you guys so long you have no idea what i've been through tonight in the car sarah notices she lost her skates now they're important brenda is passed out in the back seat for some reason chris notices they are passing their parents and they all duck as the mom points out the lunatic driving at home they scramble to create the normalcy of them having been there all night before the parents even get home when the parents arrive chris is on the couch and they apologize for being late before she leaves she visits the kids and says everything is cool sarah asks her to sit next friday but she says she's retired brad says that if 
He says hi and ignores her at school. It's cool. And she says she doesn't ignore her friends. And Daryl thanks her for giving him the greatest night of his life so far. And that's what I was thinking when I, when I watched this movie, that this is the most exciting thing that's going to happen to any of the characters in this movie. <laughs> most exciting no and terrifying. Oh, yeah. It's funny because I was thinking, what's the worst thing that ever happened to me when I was a babysitter? And there are only two things I could come up with. One is that I ordered a pizza once for the kids and the dog ate the entire pizza and I had to call the parents and let them know that their dog might be very sick. And that was <laughs> terrifying, but nowhere near as bad as their night. And the other thing that happened is I was trying on the clothes of one of the moms and she came home while I was still trying her clothes on. Oh. And then a gang war started, right? <laughs> yeah, so kind of similar to Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> How did you play that off? I have to know. Did you just go like, well, what do you think? <laughs> um, <laughs> thankfully, they were like one of my normal charges and I like babysat for them at least once a week. It was mortifying, but I think she found it more entertaining than anything. But yes, I was very embarrassed, and I basically just complimented her on her wardrobe. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And say, your clothes sure do look good on me. (laughs) It was so embarrassing. I would love to talk to her now and be like, what did you think when you came home and I was wearing your clothes? (laughs) Honey, lock the wardrobe. Sarah's babysitting tonight. Yeah. (laughs) She probably thought you were trying to steal her husband. I mean, that's what usually happens, right? There you go. No, see, I was just stealing clothes. No husbands. <laughs> they all agree about the best night of their lives. So College Dan pulls up as Chris is getting ready to leave to return the skates because they have the address on them. You came all the way out here just to return this? Actually, I was asking. Oh, oh, you came for the money. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm looking for a babysitter. <laughs> really? <laughs> Well, um, I think tonight was my last job. Oh, that's too bad. Who is the babysitter for? Me. Maybe retirement can wait. And Sarah yells from the window, kiss him. And the kids are watching. And we see as they kiss, Brad longingly moves on as he closes the window and slowly turns the blinds to watch his love move away from him. And the credits finish and we fade in to the goon still stuck on the window outside. And that's that's it. And it was short. I don't know. I think they could have done a little more with it, but it was still nice. It was fulfilling. Would have been great if you would have found Thor's hammer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you monsters. Why would you want to kill a poor defenseless little kitten? Kitten? <laughs> <laughs> this ain't no kitten kid. That's a jumbo-sized sewer rat. Now comes the point in the episode where we rate the movie we just watched. As we are a cult cinema cavalcade, we keep things nice and culty. Our ratings are as follows. Stay with your family, which means you don't want to go pick up Brenda from that bus stop. You go with Adventures of Babysitting. You don't need to go pick her up. Converted, which means you'd be down for a little bit of adventure going on with Daryl and the other kids. Or drinking the Kool-Aid. You're all in for this wacky night in town. Bring it on. Climb buildings. Go through blues bars. Mess with mobsters. Everything else. So... Sarah, how do you rate adventures in babysitting? I'm going to go converted. I'm going to go converted because is it the highest of the highest ratings for me? No. Did I have a lot more fun than I expected? Yes. This is, like we said earlier, kind of everything that I wanted in an 80s movie. Um, It really brought me back, you know, 
nostalgic things from the 80s, from my own experience, boys, kid crushes. Yeah, I, w- I would say converted because I don't necessarily like going back and watching 80s movies. And I think this is one of the better ones for me. Cullen. Uh, it's pretty entertaining movie, you know. Uh, I was kind of surprised watching again how much I thought that it would really appeal to girls. I mean, you know, we were obviously, you know, Brandon and I were boys and we liked it when we were kids when we watched it, but there really wasn't anything like this for girls and to have your main character be female and then Sarah that likes Thor so much. I and mean, she, she's basically, oh, what's her name from uh, Bob's Burgers, like the youngest girl. I can't remember her name right now, but that's more or less her character because she gets excited about dangerous things and it's just all out for having a blast. And there's all kinds of awesome things in it. You know, when we said, you know, all these people you didn't realize were in it. They're in Lower Wacker at one point, which is the awesome Batmobile scene in The Dark Knight. That's where that location is. And you've even got Brad with the uh, Dana Carvey haircut. There's so much good stuff in this. So I absolutely say I am converted on this movie that feels like a John Hughes movie, but directed by Chris Columbus. Brandon, how do you rate Adventures in a Babysitting? Hold on, before we get to that, I, with that rating, I thought you were going to say drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, that was surprising. Really, before we get to you, sure. Brandon, too, I, I have to just piggyback off of your right. Strong female lead and even Sarah's character, I do love that as well. So great points there. Now and it's I, your I, turn. It's my Go turn. for it. <laughs> <sighs> okay, I'm going to be the one that drinks the Kool-Aid on it. I had, a, I had a blast returning to this movie. I could probably sit through it again within the next week, even. It's, it's not her best role or maybe even performance of time but when i think of elizabeth shoe i think of this movie and she's just everything about it it hinges on her and without her i don't know if it works as well like she's perfect and then her character has its own sense of confidence but she's also a bit flawed and she's able to come through all that my little boy crush would came like rushing right back within the opening scenes of the movie the Disney Channel remade this movie. I don't really have a desire to check it out, but I feel like this is of its time so much that you can't really recapture it. You could do something like Jonah Hill did a movie called The Sitter, which was in similar context of this movie many, a few years back. But like this this just is what it is. It's kind of hard to recapture because of some of the zaniness that could only happen in an 80s movie and be passable because of that. It's up and down. It's, it's weird. It just moves really fast. Some of the jokes are, are pretty funny still, and I just kind of enjoyed the ride so it's not overly complex it's just kind of relaxing kind of a comfortable little journey but i'll drink the kool-aid on it i thought it was fun and the poster loved it take that sarah the poster's awesome <laughs> love it Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that it moves fast because it does move fast but at the same time for me i thought this we could lose about 15 minutes of runtime and this would be fantastic there's a that couple pro- there's a couple segments like it's it's a bunch of sketches thrown together mm-hmm. and then you could lose a couple and have the same movie easily and like you could pick any random set and have the same movie I don't want to say that's my only complaint to the movie, but it's, it's my biggest complaint, and it's not even that big of a complaint. But I'm going to get my mom to talk to the Andersons about you. Oh, stop it. And then maybe you can babysit for me. Chris, stop it. And then maybe uh, we can drive off to New York or something just for kicks. Chris. Daryl. You think? What am I supposed to do? Get in the car and run him over. A uh, quick note, you may have seen on our social media, we were talking about the best of indie contest. Well, we are nominated for the best of indie in the podcast department. There's no real easy way to link, but Google up best of indie 2018, find podcast section, vote for us because you listen to us 
And you don't want some crummy podcast winning that. Yeah, don't don't uh, don't let a chump win it. Let the non-chumps win it. And speaking of chumps, you know who's not a chump? <laughs> Is it Tom Labrie? Hi, this is Tom Labrie with All Night Movies, brought to you by Labrie's Waterbed Warehouse. We call this night comfort with some pretty good movies and some easy conversation. Now, right now, we're going to have a little fun by showing you some of our early commercials. I'll be honest with you. When I first started advertising on TV, I didn't know a whole lot about it. In fact, some of our first ones were so bad, we heard everybody else's business went up. For example, look at some of these great openers we had. Is your dead bed killing your back? 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 Those were pretty bad, LaBrie! <laughs> Let's face it, those were pretty hokey. But I think we've learned something since then. We like our commercials now to be entertaining, as well as telling you about LaBrie's Waterbed Warehouse. It's beautiful, it's bigger, and it's better than ever. LaBrie's Waterbeds has expanded at I-80 and El Camino. 19,000 square feet of air-conditioned comfort, a third of an acre, with hundreds of soft-sided and regular waterbeds, including the famous back room for LaBrie's discount savings, the true flotation sleep center, the bigger and better LaBrie's Waterbeds at I-80 and El Camino. And that's what we're all about, LaBrie's Waterbed Warehouse in Sacramento. We hope you like our commercials. And if you're ever interested in any kind of flotation system, I hope you'll remember where we are. On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be celebrating three years of our show. And what better way to do it than with another chosen one tale of a future Earth gone awry. We'll be talking, of course, Highlander 2, The Quickening, from 1991, the Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery, Virginia Madsen, Michael Ironside epic sequel of Exorcist II Proportions. Uh, We will be discussing both cuts of the film. The theatrical cut, which is unavailable to find, uh, and the 1995 renegade version of the film. So in order to prepare, you might want to watch both, and Cullen's going to be tortured through uh, both of them. As long as I can see the picture, I'll tolerate it. The Highlander thing, maybe there can be only one, but we will be watching two. We want to thank everyone for joining us every time you're able to and download at however you listen to us, Stitcher, iTunes, we're everywhere, so that's fine. And wow, thank you, Sarah Priebus, for coming on board here. You've you've gone from Ellen to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, so I think you're, you're moving on up there, right? <laughs> I'm definitely moving on up. Thank you guys so much for having me, too, because this movie was a hoot, and I don't know if I would have watched it otherwise. If you guys are looking to follow the adventures of Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I do make some funny sketches and I like to think I'm pretty clever on the Twitter. So feel free to follow me on Instagram, Twitter. I'm on Facebook. My handle is at Sarah Priebus, S-A-R-A-H-P-R-I-B-I-S. Or you could just look up my shiny hiney or Ellen <laughs> Meet. <laughs> Ellen meets Miss Shiny Heine, and you'll find yourself watching a pretty funny video. Excellent. Well, we appreciate you coming on, and best of luck to you with everything. And we look forward to next time. But first, stay tuned for the trailer to Highlander 2 The Quickening, the trailer that actually trails.
Greetings, Highlander. You call? centuries on Earth, nothing could have prepared them for the quickening. Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery, Highlander 2, The Quickening. Thank you for listening to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, part of the Creative Zombie Studios Network. For press opportunities, advertising opportunities, and more information on Cult Cinema Cavalcade, contact mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. Produced by Brad Shoemaker. Edited by Brandon Peters. Narration by Rebecca Peters. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf appears courtesy of the freemusicarchive.org network. The film and music featured in this episode are part of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Join us again in two weeks for a new episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. And that's, that's it. That's and in in my fantasy world, the credits finish, and we fade in to the goon still stuck on the window outside during the daytime, and then like a bird poops on him. The one well, that they left on the building. There is a stinger. Did you not watch the whole? Credits? Not, no, my Netflix ended. It quit. Was there a stinger? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, the, it is the the bad guy. Oh, it he, is him? He, he, it's not nighttime, but he oh. is stuck outside. Yep, I oh, thought my. too. Well, good. I guess I could have like you know wrote this movie, I guess, because I was on the same page. <laughs> but no, my, my Netflix, I was like, I hate when they cut from like the credits and stuff, and this one automatically just did, so I was like, fine. But that's excellent. Thank you, too, for filling me in on that. There was no no bird poop and it was nighttime, but it happened. All right, all right. And it was short, and I would have I, I I do like a I don't know I think they could have done a little more with it, but it was still nice. It was fulfilling. Would have been great if you would have um, found Thor's hammer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Nick Fury comes up to him for some reason. What is going on? 